2: Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? If I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on shame on you.
1: It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, hosted
0: by Ben Kissel. Boom! you can't get fooled again.
1: Hey, what's up everyone? How you doing? This is Ben Kissel. I'm staring at Travis Morningstar. I'm here. You're here, thank God. Today's episode is an interview with a representative uh, out of montana's 24th district she is a great person she ran and won in 2018 Uh, she's a young woman she's a native american her name is barbara bassett so be sure to listen to that interview i think it's inspirational i also want to thank everyone who came out not just to our last podcast on the left shows those were amazing right travis that was great
3: the paps theater was a dream come true beautiful theater haunted I know. Um, there's a great documentary on Amazon Prime called okay. "Haunted Theaters of Milwaukee," <laughs> and uh, I, I was fortunate enough to talk to the house manager of the Mil- of the Papp's Theater. She was in the documentary, and she told me about all of the good, benevolent lady spirits that oh. haunted the Paps Theater. And then down the street at uh, I don't know, I don't know if I should name the theater, but there's another theater in Milwaukee that is haunted by the victims of the mob really and those are angry vengeful spirits oh
1: well i'm happy we chose the paps theater yeah just a sort Uh, of a
3: just a little like susan of perfume in the air that's that's the way they that's the way they haunt at uh, the paps theater
1: i'll take it that sounds great it was a fresh smelling place no doubt about that and then i want to thank everyone who came out and stayed an extra day uh in milwaukee or came out for another show in milwaukee i debuted hail yourself america And it was wonderful, wonderful. It was great to meet everyone. Afterwards, we went out to hooligans. We had a great time. And I'm really excited to travel around uh, the country with that documentary. And, uh, and meet everyone and uh, have a wonderful time. So thank you all so much for coming out.
3: Yeah, you told me some people were sort of overwhelmed with emotion, overcome with emotion. It was, it was
1: emotional. It was
3: inspiring, well, I'm, I'm really happy to hear that my camcorder work really- You nailed it. Brought people to- My auteur- my ship with the camcorder yes. really brought people to tears. That's amazing. No, they loved it. They loved how all of the shots were
1: mostly of my chin <laughs> yes. and, you know, just powerful stuff. Um, but no, honestly, thank you for all your hard That's work the, on that. The
3: ant, the ant Hill perspective of, of Ben Kissel.
1: It's perfect. That is just the perspective, I'm pretty sure. But yes, thank you all so much uh, for the Q&A afterwards. It really meant a lot to me. and uh, And I hope to see you all in the very near future. Just extremely briefly... <laughs> We have some huge news today, and we're going to cover this on Side Stories as we have been covering it, and we'll continue to talk about the political aspects of this on Abe Lincoln's Top Hat. Jeffrey Epstein, new information has come to light regarding his, air quotes, suicide. Um, Evidently, he has certain bones in his neck that were broken, and the coroner said that this could happen. These bones can break via suicide. That does happen. But it's much more likely uh, that these bones would break because of a strangulation. So this is just, if you wanted to add fuel to a fire, this is just straight up, this is just kerosene. This is just a bunch of kerosene being thrown on (laughs) to the Epstein fire. And uh, we will continue to follow that story on both, again, Side Stories and Abe Lincoln's Top Hat.
3: Well, also, New York Post just broke something. Uh, Ghislaine Maxwell spotted at In-N-Out Burger in first photos since Jeffrey Epstein's death. Is that serious? Yes. She was at In-N-Out Burger? In-N-Out Burger in L.A., and she was reading a book called The Book of Honor, The Secret Lives and Deaths of CIA Operatives. Get out of here. No, this is this just happened. She, it is Woo. It is straight up. That, that is what's up. That's what's up. That, that is that, what's, up. what's up.
1: Well, as we talked about on Side Stories, Ghislaine Maxwell, now that Epstein is out of the picture... She is in the picture, and I don't think this is a picture she wants to be the star of. The crosshair is her honor, and I think it's just a matter of time, right, before charges are brought.
3: She seems pretty relaxed. She's, she's living, I mean, I guess she's so. Li- she's living with a, C, uh, a tech CEO in, yes. um, in, it's outside of Boston, apparently, yes. in a big mansion. I don't know. Maybe she doesn't think that anything is going to happen to her. Uh, oh, I She don't seems to be. Know. It almost seems the book title certainly seems like trolling to me. Like just yeah, sort a little of like. Bit. And she, uh, if you look at the picture, you should. After this, she is just sort of confidently gazing into the camera of the, this paparazzo and reading the book. It's amazing.
1: Okay, well, Ghislaine Maxwell, the madam. I don't even want to say the madam because that infers that these women were of age. Really, the uh, sex trafficker, in some ways, uh, for Jeffrey Epstein. We'll see. If I'm her, I would not be comfortable enough to eat and eat In-N-Out Burger and read a book in public. <laughs> yeah. I would I would be like, this is a home dinner time. I would maybe go to my study, slam about as much booze that I had in said study, and then try to just sleep through it and hope everyone forgets. Um, but inevitably, they will not because the victims deserve justice. And uh, these victims are now in their early 30s. They are rightfully uh, upset with Epstein's suicide. Yeah. They just wanted to get some justice. Well, next man up and that man happens to be Gazelle uh Ghislaine, G- Galaine? whatever. Gizlene. Max, whatever the hell she is. She's uh, not a good person, that is for sure. Um so Miss Maxwell, who knows what happens with her. So we'll keep you up to date on that on side stories and able Can stop it, but now check out this conversation with representative Barbara Bassett. I think she's an inspiration and when we talk about the Democratic Party. We're going to speak specifically about the Democratic Party in this interview. Needing to pick up seats in local houses under Obama, they lost a thousand seats. That is devastating to the party. the po- The party was gutted. Uh, so it's we need rational, good people. The Democratic Party needs rational, good people in these offices, and Barbara is definitely one of those. So enjoy this interview. Hey, what's up, everyone? I am honored to have with me now, she is the representative out of Montana's District 24. She's a state rep, and, you know, we talk about state reps all the time, how important they are. Uh, Obviously, under Obama, the Democratic Party lost 1,000 state seats across the country, so it is time for the Democratic Party to start picking it up on the state level, and this woman did it. She's an inspiration to all Her name is Barbara Bassett. Thank you, Barbara, for being on the show.
4: Thank you so much for having me today.
1: Absolutely. So, uh, Barbara, you are you are you're a young lady and you're also Native American, uh, which is extremely rare in American politics. How did you decide to run for office? What was your inspiration? Uh, What did you want to do?
4: So actually, my story kind of starts back in 2006. I grew up in a rodeo family, which is even a ra- rarer to have a Democrat in rodeo family. Yeah, I'm a barrel racer.
2: Oh, okay. I'm a barrel okay. racer.
4: Um, so um, it's a rodeo event for the listeners that might not know what that is. But um, so I didn't grow up in a very political family, so I didn't have that political back- background. Um, in 2006, John Tester, who is our current senator, yes, ran against Conrad Burns. And he was an um, Conrad Burns is the Republican incumbent, mm-hmm. and I really got into it because my uncle was watching that race, and so I'm like, oh, this politics thing is kind of something that I really enjoy. And um, then in 2008, Obama ran, and that really got me excited. I was like, you know what? One day I want to run for office. Hell yeah! And um, my friend Kay, who is a huge inspiration in my life, uh, gave me a little pin that I wore every single day of session that said, a "Woman's place is in the House, Senate, and Oval Office." Love it. And so. In 2016, I was actually approached to run because I'm one of the leaders in the community for the work that I do. And I decided, you know, I had just offered a job in another state, and I just didn't know if I was going to take that job, and I didn't want to run and then you know, leave right away. So I decided not to run, but then in 2018, the stars aligned. In my district, we have term limits here in Montana, and Uh so my representative was actually termed out. And I'm like, you know what? This is the time to do it. There's a lot of focus on you know young people, mm-hmm. minorities running, um, yeah. people across the state were actually starting to talk about some of the work that I do in substance abuse. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. And so I actually filed to run on May 19th, 2017, as a awesome. birthday present to myself. That's great. And um, then I started, you know, campaigning in 2018, um, and I won. And I'm one of the first urban Native American women to represent a Montana representative district. The other woman is Jade Barr out of
2: Billings.
1: That is incredible. So you were talking about some of the work that you were doing uh, even before you ran for office and obviously before you uh, got into office. Uh, What were you focusing on? I know we were talking a little bit before the show that there is a massive drug epidemic going on in Montana right now, as well as an epidemic that I think I know a little bit about underage drinking, um, so what uh, what is your focus as far as what's going on with drugs, and does that tie into the national conversation we've been having regarding opioid
2: abuse?
4: So actually, Montana is one of those states and um, that we kind of get trends that come to us late. So we actually haven't had the opioid crisis hit us, and we've actually been taking strides to make sure that doesn't happen. Okay. But what we do have is a big drinking issue. We have, um, we're usually, Number one in DUI. Sometimes North Dakota has that. Okay. Um, we're usually number one in suicides. Um, mm. In the United States, it's about 25% of suicides have dual sub- kind of substance. Right. In Montana, it's 42%. Wow. Um, we have high rates of underage drinking. And so that's the thing that I really try to focus on. We do have, um, sometimes you'll see some mess you know, spikes in Montana. And so that's kind of some of the other things. And so those are the two things that we're kind of working on, but really definitely alcohol and our alcohol culture.
1: Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, obviously, you know, I like to throw back beers like any other person born in Fargo who then moved to Wisconsin, (laughs) but you do have to be very careful when it comes to drinking and driving. I have a a friend who is currently incarcerated uh, for 25 years after a fatal accident. Uh, Mistakes happen, and it's really unfortunate and super sad to see lives end on both sides for all intents and purposes. When it comes to drinking and suicide, do you think that that's a little bit higher in Montana, or why do you think that's higher in Montana? You said 42% of suicides are alcohol-related. Or at least they have alcohol in their kind of system. Substance. Or some kind of yeah, substance. Yeah, some
4: kind of substance.
1: Is that, a, is that an isolation thing? or?
4: So there's a lot of reasons that Montana has a high rate of suicides, which I, we don't have to get into that right now. But just specifically on, it's just our drinking culture. Our drinking culture is something that's very much ingrained into us. Like I said before, I come from a rodeo family. And yeah. the other thing is, is I don't drink a lot either. And So it's, the joke is, you know, my drinking team has a rodeo problem. Um, right. and that's very much Montana. Everything is centered around drinking. So I think that just leaks into the rest of kind of our public health problems. Mm-hmm. We have other issues um with suicide rates. Um, yes, you can say that we're secluded. we have we don't have access to the mental health that maybe some other places have. One of the very interesting things, and I actually did a, um a resolution to um in the Montana House okay. to combat bet suicides. And one of the mm. things about Montana is that, places that have really that are high elevation like usually i think it's like 3000 feet um and higher is high elevation and actually those across the world have higher suicide rates so it has something to do with like our oxygen really yeah. so that's something very interesting yeah
1: i have never heard that before in my life
4: so if you look at like if you look at where you have high suicide rates in the united states yeah. it's alaska montana wyoming colorado it's like those really like high elevation states and you have like delaware is mixed in there i think it's delaware but usually it's in like the higher elevated states and it's actually across the world interesting so that's another thing and then you mix that with our drinking culture
1: right and so is it mostly is it mostly the drinking culture that is leading to the depression or is there anything how are the how, what what's the economics looking right now what's the economic situation going on right now in montana have the tariffs that donald trump has put in place with the with the chinese really hurt the farmers there in montana i know i was speaking with a person who was a pig farmer and i mentioned him yep. on multiple episodes in minneapolis yeah, I heard about the pig. Everyone knows about the pig farmer. Nice guy. Um, but he 37. mentioned he yes, 37 years old, three children. I know all about him. He's my case study for this. But he was mentioning how the tariffs are really screwing over his farm. Have you noticed any correlation between a lack of stability in economics and, you know, suicide rates or how is the farming community doing out there because I know that's a large constituency?
4: Yeah, and so I I only represent like in my district. I only represent um an urban area okay. so i'm really not going to i can't give you facts and figures i can tell you though that suicide rates amongst farmers is really really high actually yeah. that's another high percentage and i actually do um one of my old bosses um fathers actually committed suicide he was a farmer actually from big sandy which is where john tester is from
2: mm.
4: um he committed suicide and i do know like john tester is probably someone that knows that he's a farmer and i'm not a farmer so yeah. i don't really want to like throw things out that i don't know but i do know that it's a concern i mean when we look at you know suicide rates amongst you know farmers because it's a very stressful and in montana we have a lot of agriculture that's very important to our economy right
2: right
1: well obviously you have a lot of land you represent more of an urban area when it comes going back to something that you're focused on which is the drinking culture and obviously how that relates to drinking and driving what are some of the ways that you're attempting to curb people from drinking and driving are you guys because you know it you can kind of get into sticky areas if you guys are beginning to do what they do in Los Angeles and what they do here in New York. They oftentimes have these large nets uh, that officers will just randomly pull over people. And then, you know, I'll I'll start being like, I have a co- I'm have a sovereign citizen. I have a constitutional right, all this stuff, which is about as valid as the words that I'm throwing out because if they want to arrest me, they can arrest me. Um, but what are some of the ways that you are combating the DUI crisis?
4: So in Montana, we're the law is a little fuzzy. So most places just don't deal with it. We don't do what you call the sobriety checkpoint. Right. And so what I would like to do from like a legislative level is actually, um, well, okay, let me, a professional level, what we are trying to do is make sure that people We're so one of the things is we don't have a lot of public transportation here. We're, you know, 20, like where I grew up, it's 20 miles from, you know, a ride home. Right. So like, how do you get, even in like the urban area that I live in, we don't, buses don't run after five. Taxis are expensive. Uber is like, the, we have like three people who do it like, you know, and it's sporadic. Right. So one really of the things that we try to do is promote safe ride homes with the cab, like where we give people free ride homes. Mm. so that's one way to do it um and another way to do it is just you know we have a lot of awareness campaigns of like how much is this is going to cost you most people don't drink and drive you know and those things and then from like a legislative level what I would like to see is more um what they call treatment courts so if you get a DUI then you go to treatment instead of incarceration
1: that's great yeah and has that message been resonating with the with the constituents when you go out and speak with them? Because, you know, I think that's such a more intelligent way to do it. Uh, throwing people in jail is not the answer. Giving people treatment, without a doubt, is. Before they commit, an act where they do have to go to jail if they hit someone and that person happens to die mm-hmm. or get injured. Uh, unfortunately, right. those things happen. What is the the reaction been? Because I'm sure it's got to be difficult to sort of address an issue that is so ingrained in the culture
4: and it's funny because like you think of this as like when you look at it and then from the societal level is like oh everyone does it but i'm knocking doors and i went through my district almost five times and people when they when i told them what i did they were like oh my gosh we finally need someone to be talking about this and what i really try to do is like we don't want them to even get in trouble like we want to prevent it so, you know, we're trying to talk to maybe high school students and like, okay, how do you like when you get to 21, how do you drink responsibly or, you know, low risk drinking and how, you know, because we don't want it to ever really happen. And so people were really very, i was a little nervous because I had people be like, oh, that's just not going to play. That's going to be horrible on, on the doors. And honestly, people loved it of what I did. So right. I got really good reception.
2: Yeah.
1: Did you feel like in 2018 when you were coming in obviously you're, you're breaking some new ground you're addressing issues previous politicians hadn't dared to address did you feel like there was a national momentum? Uh, obviously we have more on the national level we talk about you know AOC and, and uh, you know Ilhan and, and some of the other you know new candidates the 66 new congressional members of the Democratic Party, many of them more moderate as well. But did you just feel like this was a time, the, the the country was ready for somebody new, and in your case, a young woman of color, a young Native American woman?
4: Yeah, I do feel like that. And I actually, the other thing, so Montana's about 7% Native. Okay. And my district is about 7% Native. I hold most of the urban Natives in my district. And people were like, it's great to see someone else that looks like me, that is doing this i have right. um a, she's since become my friend she's like i'm gonna ru-. she uh, lives in helena and she wants to run for city council now like you know that's, that's what it's about and i looked i don't know if you're familiar with um sharice davids from kansas and deb Holland from new mexico who are the uh-huh. first two native american women to be in representative in the u.s house yeah i can't believe it was 2018 before that happened
1: i know that's insane
4: but like looking like i look to them too like you know sharice is a freaking MMA lesbian fighter like she's freaking awesome like native and smart <laughs> and she broke all t- types of ground and so just yeah. watching her and that um, that the uh, lady I was just talking about actually told Jade and I she's like you guys are like the streets and dev of Montana <laughs> I was like, that was like the like the biggest compliment you could give me I was like oh I'm just doing this because I this is what I feel is right you know
2: that's
1: great
4: and making sure people have voices that are heard that have not been heard
1: yeah Absolutely. And you mentioned how late it is in the game, how late it is in the history of this country to have the first Native Americans representing uh, our nation in Congress and in your situation in the representative uh, in uh, in the local um, representative district uh, in Montana. So what is like as far as Native Americans go, as far as indigenous peoples, we still as a country, you know, we have not addressed this issue. It comes in vogue Hollywood. I was just talking with uh, with I think Travis Morningstar, uh, who you've heard regularly on top at about how Hollywood will come. It comes in in phases. So they'll have almost like pet projects that come in vogue. And I believe the Native Americans, they got a little bit of love in the 70s, maybe early 80s, Marlon Brando, these kinds of people. And then you don't really hear about it anymore. We don't hear about the abuse that's going on uh, within the Native American community. We we hear a little bit when they're building pipelines like the Keystone Pipeline through right. their areas. We hear a little bit about the Native populations when they're being devastated, but we don't really hear about the struggles that Native Americans are going through on a day-to-day basis and what that society what are some of the needs of that society? So, have you been able to? Can you can you extrapolate a little bit on, you know, what this what what that community needs and yes. where they are now?
4: I definitely want to make sure that your listeners know. I do. I never. My grandparents live on a reservation, but I did not grow up on a reservation, so okay. I am urban native, which is different. Um, we do have, you know, reservation. That, you know, obviously they're districts. And so we have nine Native Americans in our house, which is nine percent, which is pretty much on par where, with what Montana looks like. OK. And so but if you look at it from but I still like listen to, you know, constituents and, you know, they still have the same issues in Browning, which is uh um, which is the Blackfeet reservation mm-hmm. uh, north of where I live. You know, you can go on there, and they don't have electricity. They don't have running water, and you would wow. never like. They're like this is like third world country. So we're talking about trying to you know, stop maybe you know alcohol there, or and that's historical. There's a lot of historical trauma with that. Right. But you know, when they're just having, how do you? You have to address basic needs of people to make sure that they're getting clean water and they, you know, electricity. So it's 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 kind of sometimes when you're like, well, like hearing other people talk that might not know, like we have third world conditions in our country that we don't know about because there's not, we don't have the Native American representation to be out there saying these things. Um, And the other thing that you can see is, you know, people are like, mail-in ballots are great. And they are. Like, I am a big proponent of mail-in ballots. But if you go only mail-in ballots, you go to the reservation, there are people that don't have addresses. So it disenfranchises Mm. Native Americans. So I would never go to like a whole mail-in ballot because like how do you make sure that people still that don't have the addresses and that's what actually happened with um in north dakota with voting with heidi heitkamp is mm. there were some that they didn't have like the actual address and they're trying to disenfranchise them and so we have to make sure that it's that's why like knowing these things like people don't really realize it right that they don't have an address so where are you supposed to get your mail-in ballot sent
1: yeah, what's the emotional state right now? I mean, just in your in your experience with the Native community, is there a level of optimism with uh, the recent victories of Native Americans that have won office, um, or are they sort of expecting more of the same, or what? What do they even want? Uh, you know, when it comes to assistance, are they looking for for assistance, or do they just do they just want to have their land not ruined? By these massive corporations?
4: Yeah, I would say, you know, I mean, speaking from like an urban area, um, I had a lot of people just be like, it was, you know, going back to, you know, it was finally to see somebody because we don't ever feel like we're seen. And right. someone to listen to our, you know, and not let, you know, a big huge, the big deal right now is not letting our language die. I have to say, mm. I am Cree. And I don't know how to speak Cree and i it's like on my to-do list. my grandpa can speak it, and so I should just learn from him. but like my great grandpa only spoke Cree, he didn't speak English right. um and so you know it's a big thing right now, just trying to hold on to any culture that we can in this world that just seems like it's it's you know it's meant to just tear it down and we've survived this long and it's just keep you know keep trying to do that. so really a lot of you know making sure that we have language preservation or cultural preservation. Also, Native Americans have crazy high suicide rates, also missing and murdered indigenous women, and just really focusing on those issues. And really just trying to, you know, I do know that a lot of places are trying to connect back to the land, like on the reservations and kind of connect back to it. So, you know, we can try not to lose generations Yeah, you know, that we've lost previously.
1: Well, I know Canada just passed some legislation regarding the missing indigenous women. Uh, Obviously, these women were not even looked for. They were just considered, hey, they're gone, all right, whatever. Is there an epidemic of that as well happening in the reservations across the United States?
4: Well, uh, Montana definitely has a high, and we passed some bills in this session that will actually make it um like there's a task force that's going to be created to look at this and this isn't just when we talk about you know missing and murdered indigenous women when we pass that it's not really like we call it that but it's not just for that we're going to help find you know people who need to be found right. it's a statewide task force to, to make sure we're looking at these things and they're not getting forgotten and it was a huge movement and it was i mean it was very you know emotional to be a part of that um yeah. the other thing that you know is reservations and you're you're from wisconsin so they have reservations so you yes. might know some of this but um you know they're federal they're a sovereign nation like right so like how do you work between local government or local law enforcement excuse me and reservation law enforcement and that's what these are look to help like you know to make sure that like things are smoothly ran so that's a huge
2: problem
1: yeah that was sort of my follow-up question was the uh sort of a question of trust is there just is it has it been difficult for the native american community to build up trust with the police force and vice versa because of the history of people going back on their words specifically white people in this case is is it difficult to build that community trust are you finding that to be something where the natives don't trust the the police and the police say hey we don't want to deal with it
4: yeah, so um, with me, just personally, knowing that, you know, natives, it's very hard to trust, like, quote, unquote, white man. I don't know right. how else to say it, because of, like, all the broken promises, the broken treaties, the, you know... All that, all like that historical trauma thing. Yeah, and so I think that's some of the problem, but I do think that like we actually have more urban natives than natives that live on reservations, and I think just having voices like mine be there at the table is really going to help bridge some of those gaps.
1: Is there any is there any um, sort of conflict with with Native Americans that are still on the reservation uh, and the urban Native Americans? Uh, Is that is that something that is relatively smooth or is there a little bit of uh, tension between these two different ideas where you can be Native American and you can be slightly more assimilated and you can be in an urban environment? Is, Is there any sort of social issue regarding that?
4: I've never really felt it, you know, even with just being when I go back to see my grandparents, you know. My yeah. grandpa's pretty well-respected on the reservation, so my grandma's always like, if you get pulled over, you just tell me who your grandpa is. So yeah. um, I'm like, okay. But, <laughs> you know, I've never really – I personally have never felt that. I didn't feel that in the um, house either. Like, okay. you know, I sat next to a very well-respected representative, and she um, she's a crow, and she – I never felt that. She kind of took me under her wing and just kind of made sure that I knew what I was doing. And Yeah. But I've never personally felt that, so I don't want to, you know, speak for okay. everybody, especially no, because like there's different reservations, different tribes, and all that stuff.
1: Right. Well, let's talk a little bit nationally, and then we can come back to Montana and talk about the legislation that you passed because it is great legislation, and I'm excited for the audience to hear about it. What do you think is going on nationally with the Democratic Party? Obviously, you are you are so important, and we cannot stress how important. What you did is because it is all about local state houses. The Democratic Party was gutted, it was so empty, it was shallow. For eight years, we had Obama, we had Biden, and we had nothing else, or the Democratic Party had nothing else whatsoever. So, the fact that you were fighting the good fight and trying to fill and filling that seat is really awesome. But when it comes nationally with the Democratic Party, uh, how do you think the presidential candidates are doing? Is there anyone that stands out? We just have to get in the weeds a little bit on the nerdy national stuff. John Hickenlooper, <laughs> oh, is, John Hickenlooper has just said he he's gone. He wants to go run for senate. Yeah. Beto O'Rourke um, has just restarted his campaign, but it looks like the exact same as the other campaign. I don't know. Um, do you have any? Do you have anyone that's kind of inspiring with you right now? And on that note, um, when it comes to Elizabeth Warren, I would love to hear your thoughts on sort of the only, the only gap, really the biggest gap of her uh, political career. Uh, which was of course uh claiming to be yes. uh, Native American, taking a DNA test and then it proving not to be native she she's not Native American. It's not the end of the world. I would vote for Elizabeth Warren in a heartbeat. Um but what are your thoughts? Let's 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 talk let's start with Warren and then we can kind of bleed up for a that. lot, Ben. I know, that was too much. I I was a too long of a question. So let's start with Elizabeth Warren. As as a person who is native, how offended were you? What do you think about the the, uh, the scandal that was the DNA test. Yeah. And then we can talk about the other candidates.
4: So um, I will talk a little personal. First I'll talk. So Deb Hallin, who is in New Mexico, one of the first Native American women I talked about, she actually endorsed Warren. Okay. Um, and, you know, I know that Na- Native Twitter was, like, very divided on it. Um, and so when I talk, I'm only going to talk from my personal experience. I don't want to talk for all natives.
2: <laughs> of course, um, of course. Or
4: even all creeds or all women or, you know, this is just my personal opinion. This is
1: Barbara's opinion.
4: Yes, it's my personal opinion. Um, <laughs> so I actually am what you would call like a white passing native. And so I understand, like I try to really make sure that I keep my privilege in check for that. Um, and so that's why I said, you know, I don't want to speak for all natives. Right. Um, and I, on the doors, so I've, I've mixed feelings on this on the doors. People be like, well, why are you? Cause it says on my card and they're always, you know, people that are not of native descent who are like, why do you say native American representation? And then I'd always have to explain it. And then I always feel like I needed to show like my tribal papers or my tribal ID right. to make sure that I was real, but I never did. So our part of it is like, well, I don't know if you take the DNA test or you just giving into all that. Um, but maybe, but also is because, like, everybody wants to be Native. Like, everyone loves to say that they have Cherokee, and that's, like, the one thing that... Well, I was, and everyone's always a princess,
2: too.
1: Oh, really? I know. Isn't that so weird? How when you make it up, it's just, like, everyone seems to be a king or a princess or a queen or a prince. <laughs> yeah.
4: Um, and so part of me is, like, well, you know, it's, it's hard enough to be someone who's, like, trying to... Maybe I don't look Native enough to people to be, like, hey, you know, this is... But then you have someone on a national stage like that, that does it, especially when that gives so much ammunition to the other side to be like, yeah. oh, see, she's a terrible person. I, the thing is I like Elizabeth Warren. Like I like her policies. Like I, I actually agree with her on a lot of things, but that is like the one thing that I'm just like, oh, I don't know. You know, I have a lot of mixed emotions because it's hard to be just, everyone wants to be it or use it to their advantage and be like, oh yeah, I'm like an eight Cherokee so I can say whatever I want. Right. I don't know why. I think that's the only tribe that anybody knows, so I guess that's why they say Cherokee. No one ever says they're Cree. So
1: Right, right. Well, um, I'll start. If I'm going to lie about it, I'll say I'm Cree from now on. <laughs> okay. I will. Don't worry about it.
4: Well, you're from Wisconsin, so Chippewa might be a little bit better.
1: Oh, yeah, that's fine, too. I can make up a whole series <laughs> of different lies.
4: But so, you know, and just to, like, go so hard on it and then just to write that down without knowing those things because you have, like – high cheekbones. Like I, am right. just like, well, you know, it's, it's hard enough to try to get people to take you seriously and especially, you know, and I'm not, you know, even as just, cause you're supposed to look a certain way anyway, you know, you're supposed to be. And so that can be really difficult. And then you have people like that. And then, you know, I think her just, and then the DNA test was a little bit, I don't know if, you know, it was her choice obviously and not mine, but it's, I, I know this is a really wishy-washy opinion on this. I'm sorry, but I just think that there's, you know, I have a lot of mixed feelings on it. Well,
1: Barbara, you're you're a politician now. You're allowed to be wishy-washy. It comes with the territory. That's okay.
4: <laughs> I know. I just feel very like, you know, I, I, I'm not offended to the point where I'm like off with her head, but I also understand, you know, it's just. Someone else trying to steal someone else's culture without right. really knowing about these things, and it does—it's it's more annoying to me than it is offensive. But I understand why other people would take offensive to it.
1: Right. No, absolutely. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. I was speaking with someone uh, in Milwaukee after my uh, debut of "Hail Yourself, America," which was it was well received. I didn't do nearly as well oh. as you did because I got my ass kicked.
4: Oh, whatever. I listened to your, all your stuff at the time. And I want to see that documentary. It's a great
1: documentary. It's inspirational. Um, But I was speaking (laughs) with one Native American man, and he was talking about um, the, the cultural appropriation of Native American music and how that's sort of been co-opted now by, uh, by the mainstream culture, and it's sort of watered down traditional Native American music and those kinds of things. So does this Warren situation, we don't have to focus on, on her, but more, does it represent something that is larger? Does it represent something that the Native Americans have felt for a long time, which is their culture gets cherry-picked, but they don't get any yeah. of the reward.
4: Yes. I, I think like that's why it's like more annoying. It's just, like a larger issue. It's more like the red skin issue or, you know, and I don't want to get into the, you know, the the sports thing.
1: No, that is that is really interesting because I think it's hard for people to, you know, kind of accept when a culture is saying that it's a uh, that yeah, this is racist. I mean, would you prefer to see those sorts of logos kind of changed or altered? or is it just one of those things where it's like at least can we just at first acknowledge that it's racist and then maybe yes. we can we can yes. get to just altering yes. uh I think it's what is it Chief Wahoo is the is the name of their uh yeah. mascot you know the whole thing is it's a little bit above and beyond I mean I'm a Green Bay Packers fan and there's nothing racist about being a packer I don't even know what it is
4: <laughs> Well wow. Um, yeah, I think, well, I'm a Carolina Panthers fan, so there's nothing racist about being a Panther. (laughs) Uh Um, but it's, it's just, it's more of like, you know, like that. And that's like the broader issue. So those, you know, I know it's just, it's like how they see it's a caricatures. And I would like to at least someone to be acknowledged, be like, yeah, this is actually kind of racist. So let's maybe talk about that. And how can we change these perceptions? No other race you could get away with that right so it's, it's an interesting thing
1: when it comes to and we can let's so anything else when it comes to national politics do you want to say anything about any of these candidates any any democrats yes, I do. okay let's talk about that
4: because if i don't my governor will be kind of mad at me
1: all right so who do you
2: got i'm sure let's he's go- listening to this uh-huh
4: um so steve bullock is running for president who is yes. our governor in montana and honestly i i love steve miss uh governor bullock He's a great guy, and I really enjoyed watching him at least take a national stage and kind of be like, "Hey, Montana really is here," right? Because some people tend to forget. But he's he's uh, I just have to at least talk about him just because you know he's our governor. Of and course, he did you have to us pass a lot of legislation. So,
1: what was one of your what's one of the best pieces of legislation Governor Bullock has passed?
4: Uh, Medicaid expansion.
1: That's great. And that would assume that that is something that is extremely needed uh, in Montana. We can sort of transition now into what the legislation <laughs> you have passed. And so you're so you're, you're going to be loyal to your state and say the person you like right now is Governor Bullock.
4: Yes, I have to. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm from Montana. No,
1: you do. I know. <laughs> I mean, I get it. I know. I know what you're talking about. I get it.
4: You can call, call me in like uh, nine months and we can speak again.
1: <laughs> All right. That sounds good. Um, so, let's just talk a little bit about the, some legislation that you have already been able to put forward and some legislation that has already uh, passed. And this is involving elder care, which is another group of people in our culture that, uh, from all walks of life, race, uh, get thrown away. Elderly people, we, we live in a culture that glorifies youth. Uh, we live in a culture that wants to just forget that aging is a thing send them home send them away put them out of eyesight and let them die but your legislation addressed some of those issues
4: yeah and actually works perfectly with uh governor bullock so when he was our attorney general he actually tried to pass this legislation and couldn't get it passed so it is um assisted living facilities and requiring background checks on their employees and um lo and behold i actually had a little bit of a tough time getting it through the senate Okay, but I got it. I'm really good friends with one of the moderate Republicans in the House, and he whipped some votes for me.
1: How does that? How does that work then? When he's whipping the votes, does he just take them out, buy him some, buy him some hot dogs? What does he do? <laughs> Kidnap one of their kids, hold them hostage? How does that work?
4: <laughs> it was just so it passed the House pretty easily, and then it went to the Senate and almost died on the on the second reading, and then still had one more reading to go. So I'm just like, I pulled a this representative aside i'm like hey i'm like i need you to talk to some of your r- republican friends to, to vote for this i'm like this is a good piece of legislation I'm like you wouldn't help me pass it out of the house and so he just went and talked to them and he's like hey you got you know i don't know what he said but uh-huh. he was just you know he in, in montana when you're in the minority you have like democrat minority you have to make those You know, you have to cultivate those relationships. Oh, absolutely. so he helped me. um, He's a fellow actually representative out of Great Falls, which is where I live, and represent. And so he really helped me do that. And so, no, I didn't have to, you know... I didn't have to buy anybody any steak dinner, thank goodness, because we don't get to very much. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's good.
1: So, what what's the cornerstone of this legislation?
4: So, what it will do is, um, and it will start October first, is when people get hired through assisted living facilities, which aren't nursing homes, but like a lot of elderly do go into it when they can't stay at their home anymore. Yeah, and they will have to just require all employees have a background check to make sure you know they're not like accused of like stealing a fr- you know or taking advantage of you know vulnerable people yeah so then we're making sure that people aren't getting you know exploited while they're in these places that they're entrusted from family members right and actually 20 years ago is when we did a nursing home and uh, employee background check and people who i were talking was talking to back home when I was like, oh, hey, this is the legislation I'm trying to pass. They're like shocked that it's not even in, it's already not law. So it will yeah. really help to make sure, you know, people aren't trying to, you know, take advantage of people, right. like people's loved ones who aren't, you know, really necessarily there yeah. in their care anymore.
1: I think it's just so wonderful. It just seems to me, I'm just getting a sense that your civic duty, that your servitude is surrounded by addressing people that haven't been addressed before. And I just think that is, that is so, that is so awesome.
4: Well, thank you. Yeah. That's kind of, you know, I just want to make sure um, that we are just making sure people get, you know, what they need. Um, The other big legislation, like you asked me, is that we did Medicaid expansion and that covers almost a hundred thousand people in our state, which is a 10th of our state. You know, we're only a million people. and a lot of those were native americans that needed that coverage because you know indian health services isn't always something that they you know can rely on for especially preventative medicine
1: right right is it common for the the native community would they non the non-urban native community uh do do they visit hospitals or or is that something that they sort of take on more
2: in-house
4: So reservations have, most of them have a clinic. Um, Browning, I do believe, has a hospital, actually. And there's another reservation that does. Um, But, like, when I didn't have health insurance, I went to the Rocky Boy Reservation. It's where my family's from. And I got, like, my teeth done and stuff. Um, But those are, you know, it's usually life or before Medicaid expansion. It was life or limb. So you're like, I, because they only get so much from the federal government to provide this. And so now, once you have Medicaid expansion, what you can do now is go to these places and get preventative, which actually saves us money in the long run. Yeah. So you know they, they do try to stay. We have an Indian Health Service here, well, it's Indian Family Health Clinic, in Great Falls, and a lot of the urban areas have like an urban center, and you can go there and get preventative medicine. Right. But you know, just a lot. I mean, it's a lot like Americans who just don't have insurance too. Yeah. You know, you're going in because you're going to the emergency room because finally your struck throat is just so bad that you can't take it
1: yeah again we're speaking with Barbara Bassett the representative out of Montana's uh, 24th district thank you so much for taking so much time just a few more questions if that's okay Barbara
4: I can talk to you all day Ben all
1: right it's a (laughs) 24-hour show I just I'm so interested it's been fascinating hearing about the state of Montana because we don't really hear about it that much you know we oftentimes think from the outside being like it must be a lot of yokel local locals this has to be total Trump country but you have a Democratic governor you have a Democratic senator and tester obviously you've been a Democrat as well what are some of the myths about Montana that that uh, sort of permeate throughout society that
4: really aren't true. Do you mean political or just, you just know?
1: Just political, yeah. Okay. Um, unless you want to get into a cryptid. Unless you guys have, like, cryptids or something, too. Do you have any Bigfoot out there?
4: Oh, God. Uh, no dog men either.
1: Ah, oh, dang it.
4: I mean, maybe, you know. Well, you never don't, know. I'm let Marcus know that I don't, you know, I don't really go Bigfoot hunting or any of those things. Okay. I don't really right. believe in that. So don't let him know that. So you might be... You know, we do have a lot of UFO sightings here.
1: Ooh, I'm sure you do. It's big sky country. How has that been treated? Uh, what's the legislation you're doing with that?
4: <laughs> we haven't really looked into it. You know, I can't speak <laughs> to that. Or, you know, that's that's filed under secret.
1: Okay, very cool. You got, you got top secret information on it.
4: So, yeah, I, sir, you guys come to Montana and do a show, like, in Great Falls, where we see tons of UFOs. I think you should definitely do that. Um, that would okay, be awesome. Okay, so politically, Montana is thought of, like, okay... We're a deep red state. We only vote Republican. We all are like, you know, carried around our guns. And I don't know why everyone always has a Southern accent on TV shows when they are in Montana. Yeah. You know, we have more of a Canadian accent, which you probably understand that. Uh-huh. In Wisconsin. Yes. And you can hear it when I say Dakota. <laughs> oh
2: yeah.
1: Oh, Wisconsin, uh- <laughs> Dakota.
4: <laughs> but, uh, we, you know, and so I think people just think we're like all Republican and all conservative and all gun-toting everywhere, which I'm not anti-gun. I grew up hunting, um, right. which I, you know, I was taught just like you. I was just listening to Abling and Stop hat where we were taught not to point it at people. Yeah. You never, ever have your hand on the trigger unless you're going to squeeze. You, it's, you treat it like it's loaded. Like, that's the gun culture I grew up with. My right. dad was very like, this is how it goes. Um, and so that's what everyone thinks of us. But we're actually a very interesting state. So I would say we're maroon and we're actually not concerned. We're more of a libertarian. We don't like to be told what to do. Right. Um, we, which is part of our, dr- our drinking and driving culture. We don't like to be told not to, you know, drink and drive. Uh-huh. Um, but we're actually, you know, like you said, we've had a Democrat governor for 16 years. At one point we had two Democrat senators. We had John Tester and Matt Faucus. Mike Mansfield is a majority Senate leader. Okay. In like the '60s and '70s, You're really tr- I'm really trying to dig into my history now. Oh, and, and he was a Democrat.
1: Right. So, I mean, just culturally, it's not. It's not. Uh, it's not always just red. It's not always just going to no. be a Republican. You know, rubber stamp. Has the Democratic no. Party nationally? Because obviously, we have the, this notion that they're being pushed to the left. Um, In some ways they are, but in other ways it's simply the same old Democratic Party, uh, you know, uh, with moderate policies as always. Has the Democratic Party felt any sort of flack? Has the D next to your name gotten you any attention where it's like, oh, you must be a socialist then. I'm not, I'm sorry, I'm not doing a socialist, I can't have it. Oh yeah. Has there been any effect nationally with the Democratic brand and how does that compare with the state democratic brand of montana montana <laughs> so, not man montana sounds like a Mantana. whole nother montana <laughs> sounds like a different kind of show
4: so yes you will hear that occasionally on the doors i heard you know oh you're a democrat or you're a baby killer or um yeah
1: uh, how do you combat that? Then I mean, is that just like, well, I guess I'm not going to win this person's vote um, because they just don't, because they've just consumed the Fox News version of the Democratic Party, uh, or do you try? Did do you try to sway them a little bit and be like, no, the Democratic Party is very broad, it's very vast, it's very diverse. We have a lot of different opinions.
4: What I say is, well, thank you. I don't try to because. Like you can tell, like some people will. I did have a guy that we actually exchanged dialogue, didn't change each other's minds. Some of his ideas were not anything that I thought was true, but we actually exchanged dialogue. One guy told, like, yelled at me to, like, leave his place, you know, get off of, of his course. lawn. Yeah. I didn't try to engage with him, but mostly I said, well, you know what? This is all my information if you ever want to talk. Most people are pretty nice. And in Montana, Politics is very, very personal. I had a friend who is hardcore Republican, put a side in his yard for me and voted for me because right. he knows me. And so yes. that's the other thing about Montana is actually we're very like, it's like if you know the person, it's like I'll, people will vote for you because they know you.
1: And right. It's not
4: so much your D and your R.
1: Yes. I mean, so it seems like the state might be a little bit more pragmatic than people give it credit for.
4: Yes, we are. I love, you know. Like I said, we're maroon. We're not red. I've been to some red states, and I'm like, okay, yeah, this is red. We are maroon. We have our makeup is 58 Republicans, 42 Democrats Right. in the House. I mean, and we have a, you know, we've had a, it's just a, a Democratic senator for 16 years. I mean, Democratic governor for 16 years, and you know, yeah. we're just a very we're a mixture of a lot of things. But then, you know, and I'm sure you know who Gianforte is. If you don't he's the one who punched the reporter and our representative who punched the reporter the night before the special election. Yeah, but then didn't he get elected anyway? Oh, yeah, he got elected. But, okay, that <laughs> is also not fair because, like, 75% of, like, the mail-in ballots had already been returned.
1: But right. still, he
4: still got elected again. So there's that, too.
1: I, I You know, it's funny. I, I disagree with punching any reporter, but it is, it's a little wild to see a, a political candidate just, like, just do that. I was like, oh, well, huh
4: yeah okay yeah yeah yeah. that's montana so we have a very interesting state so we have Gianforte, but then we also have tester so it's like okay right. like how it's it's really hard to you know like how do you balance that and yeah. when bullet talks about he's the only one who ran a trump won by 20 points and bullet ran the same year and won
1: that's very interesting that's really interesting has the trump phenomenon how has that affected the state? Have you noticed any more anti-immigrant uh, sentiment specifically? Uh, as a Native American, obviously you're not an immigrant. You're the only culture that is not uh, made of immigrants in this entire nation. Um, but have you noticed any more uptick in 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 uh, overt bias or racism?
4: Mm, not in my everyday life. Uh, in the house there was some pretty radical things that I can't believe were said.
1: In what sense? Um, What was said there?
4: Yeah, I I mean, this is all public record. You can go watch it. I could send you the video. It's insane. So we had a personhood amendment, which is like this moment like sperm and egg touch is a person. And so they were debating on the floor, and the guy who was the sponsor of it stands up and is introducing it, and he goes, and to my Native American friends across the aisle, this is genocide to your people.
2: Oh, my God. We're
4: like, what? Uh, no. Yeah, and so, like, that, you know, I'm mean, like, that takes, yeah, it was very, whew, I was like, oh, dear. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was, like, abortion is, like, the number one genocide of, you know, natives. I'm just like, oh, my God.
1: Well, there's some history that, that shows otherwise.
4: Oh, And then we had Indigenous Peoples Day, because we're trying to take Columbus Day and get rid of that shit. Sorry, sure. excuse my language.
1: No, you can do that.
4: <laughs> um, get rid of that. And there was one representative stood up and said, he's like, you know, Republican or Republican, excuse me, was a Republican representative. Uh, Columbus really wasn't that bad of a guy. You know, we don't really know what he did, even though there's all these accounts of the horrible atrocities he did to indigenous people. Oh, yeah. And you're just like, oh, that's not what history says. And so you're just like, hmm, OK, so you can really see it, you know, through that more than I can see it, you know. In everyday life I do know like some of my friends have um, witnessed those things um, I have a very one of my friends from he's a representative from Browning you know he has the traditional braids and so he says he feels it a lot yeah he went to a motel to check in and a guy was like what are you doing here like you're not supposed to be here right <laughs> kind of thing. with a Trump hat on he said this is uh, this is secondhand so but I'm like uh but except you're not supposed to be here not us
1: right exactly that's very interesting. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, and I guess let's just end. And you know, this whole tr- the Trump phenomenon will end. And everyone wearing those "Make America Great Again" hats—so many people are going to lie and say they never wore them. Uh, that is just going. It's going to end. But let's just end on a positive note. What uh, advice do you have to anyone who wants to get involved, who you know just wants to have their voice heard? Maybe they don't have any political experience yet, but that's why I love you. Took the the proper steps. You are in the house. You are in the you you are representing the Montana State House, um, which is incredible. Uh, what advice would you have?
4: I would start small, and it's not small. Isn't like, but if you want to get you know elected to office someday, start volunteering somewhere, start getting, you know, your name out there. Even run for your neighborhood council. Run for your school board. Run for mayor. Run for city council. Everything that is elected is important no matter the level. And that's why I think we forget. We we think like national politics. Well, all politics is local. Those are the people who are you know, the people in Washington, like they have some effect on our lives, but The ones who have the most are your state and your city and your county. Go and get involved or get on a board. Be on your local nonprofit board and get some experience. Or I sit on the state prevention board. Get on that. Like do something. If you really want to get involved, help someone knock doors, help someone collect signatures. There's a myriad of ways that you can get involved without taking an elected, you know, office at a federal level or even a state level. Is just you know really get involved and find your passion.
1: What do you tell people? Because I I sometimes get people who say, "Oh, I'm nervous about criticism and stuff." How do you how do you get over those hurdles?
4: Um. So when I started this, I'm like, okay, like I was like, everybody like that I've ever wronged or any ex-boyfriend who has a vendetta against me is just going to come after me. Right. And you know, you just and so I was really nervous. I was really nervous about. You know, what are people going to say about me? Or what are they going to, like... Are they going to dig something up? Or, you know, am I going to say something wrong? And I, you know... So, when you're talking about Joe Biden gaffes I've had a few. And I'm like, oh, God, I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> Not that it excuses it, but, yeah. Um,
1: oh, gaffes happen. They're mistakes. Mistakes happen.
4: Yeah. But, you know... or, or people Are people going to write horrible things about me on the internet? as, um, You know, because it's so anonymous now. And so... You know, and you just you just kinda take it and you have a really good support system around you and you pick like two people that you can talk to and you you're like and that's who you go to and you tell them anything, even if it's really horrible things about people that are nice or people that are you know, you just have those people that you can go to and be like, Hey, this happened to me today and I can't believe it and you can just cry, you know, to them. I can't tell you like I've had a f I've had a i have had a have had ai had a few breakdowns during the campaign. <laughs> And, like, there are always random things the one that really got to me is the one where um there's a picture of me and actually it's my twitter picture it's just me and my horse yeah and someone wrote that i abused my horse and you could tell how sad she was from her eyes and i was like crushed cuz i would never abuse my horse my horse right. is my baby and then yes. what's worse is my brother is super protective of me he's like i'm gonna... he was so mad about that i thought he was going to try to find the lady <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, calm down. Calm down, Sean. It's okay. But you know, you just kind of develop something of a you have to develop it. Like if it's just something you can't teach, you just have to go through it. And yeah. my uh friend was like, You have to stop reading comments. <laughs> like, don't yeah. read everything.
1: Well, you can't. You just can't. Thank you so much for being on the show. Barbara Bassett, you can find her on Twitter at Barbara Bassett. And, uh, yeah, just keep on doing what you're doing. You're such an inspiration for so many young people, not just Native Americans and women, but but young boys as well, Uh, even white ones, I will say. You're an inspiration (laughs) to me. Uh, middle-aged oh, men, thanks, apparently. Man. But we we got a uh, letter from a listener the other day, and she was like, "I can't believe I'm a 21-year-old uh, student in college, and my biggest entertainment is three middle-aged men." And I'm like, "Oh what? Oh my God, we're there." Ben,
4: you're only like two years older than me. I'm 38. Uh, you're three years older than me. I'm 35.
1: Yeah, but you're gonna live a long time. I'm I'm <laughs> definitely I don't know. That's what I'm just saying. What the kids are calling me now, which is middle-aged. <laughs>
3: Oh, Uh, sorry, Ben. Sorry. That's
1: fine. That's why for my, during, now that I'm in my middle age, I'm going to eat nothing but turkey legs and slam nothing but really nice mead. And I'm just going to go through a whole middle-aged 10-year cycle. I'm really going to live it. I'm going to get the plague, hopefully live through it. It'll be wonderful. (laughs) Um, Well, thank you so much for being here.
4: Thank you for having
1: me. But Barbara, before I go, I have been asked, I've been asked by Barbara before I go to give a shout out to the man who introduced her to last podcast on the left and subsequently Abel against Hat. He's the one, he's the only, I've heard he's a wonderful person, beautiful man. If you're out in Montana and you want a friend, this is the guy to go to, Tad White. Thank you, Tad. You're the best. I really appreciate you spreading the word. That is how we do everything. It's all DIY. It's all word of mouth. Just like Barbara's uh, campaign uh, for political office, word of mouth matters. And yes, without people like you, Tad, uh, we don't exist. So thank you so much, buddy. I really appreciate it. Hail yourself. Okay, Barbara, thank you so much for being here.
4: Yeah, thanks so much, Ben. I really, truly appreciate it. This has been amazing.
3: All right, everyone. There it was, Miss Barbara Bassett wonderful stuff. Travis, you loved it. It's amazing. And you know, in the the conversation that you mentioned in the interview between us about Native Americans in Hollywood, mm-hmm. uh, there is a, a great documentary by Neil Diamond. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Love the diamond. <laughs> Neil Diamond made a documentary called Real Engine, and it is about um, the 60s and 70s, all these sort of spaghetti westerns that were happening in the the rights that were sort of fought for by Native American actors. Oh, okay. Uh, and it's really good. And it's it's also just, you know, you spend an hour and a half with uh, with Mr. Neil Diamond himself. Hey,
1: man, I could stare at Neil Diamond every single day of my life.
3: Well, apparently he's, uh, you know, like, like uh, Barbara was saying, he's partly uh, Native American, and I think he likes to sort of flaunted a little little. yeah 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 yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs)
1: all right everyone thank you all so much for listening we're excited to see you in atlantic city bethlehem pennsylvania and port chester uh the very 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 beautiful port chester all right everyone thanks for listening hail yourselves we'll talk to you soon
3: this show is made possible by listeners like you thanks to our ad sponsors you can support our shows by supporting them For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.
0: Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee Governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new
2: challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting
4: and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support